You're listening to Look at My Records. I'm your host, Tom Gallo, and this is episode 164. For this edition of the podcast, I chatted with Brooklyn-based songwriter Cassandra Jenkins. Last month, Cassandra released her latest full-length album, An Overview on Phenomenal Nature, a gorgeous diaristic record that's already receiving a ton of praise and critical acclaim. For the album, Jenkins embraced a new approach to writing and recording, entering the studio with ideas rather than full songs for a fruitful week-long session with producer Josh Kaufman. The record documents many of her experiences during the last few months of 2019, after the unfortunate passing of David Berman led to the cancellation of his Purple Mountains tour. That summer, Jenkins was tapped at the last minute to be part of Berman's backing band, and she spent several days rehearsing with him in preparation for the tour. She expounds on the process of grieving that loss at several points on the record, and during our interview, we talk about the impact that the time she spent with Berman had on her as a person and as a songwriter. Plus, we talk about the inspiration behind some of the characters that work their way into her lyrics, particularly on the song Hard Drive, how Craig Finn of The Hold Steady has served as her mentor, the experiences that inspired the instrumental track The Ramble, her collage-like approach to lyric writing, and much more. Cassandra even goes through some of her old iPhone notes from 2019 to give us a glimpse into her lyric writing process, and she also shares a few great stories about touring with Eleanor Friedberger. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look At My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, including a great review of Cassandra's new album written by Zach Romano, premieres, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, I'm here with Cassandra Jenkins, her awesome new album, An Overview on Phenomenal Nature, is out now via Bada Bing Records. So great to speak with you, Cassandra. How are you? Great to speak with you, too. Um, I'm good. I'm a little chilly at the moment. <laughs> it's, it's cold it's in New York City. definitely being cold in New York and yeah. the surrounding areas for sure. How's the last year been for you? It's been a really crazy <laughs> year. How have you been spending your time? It's It's been a hard year. I mean, I am never, I'm trying to never lose sight of how incredibly fortunate I am for a lot of reasons. And I think that that is one of the things that makes difficult days less difficult is just staying in touch with that um 
not to start on a totally <laughs> not to start on that note like very self-help note but um it's so true i it's just been an extraordinarily difficult year for me personally and uh for the globe so while i've been through a difficult time i know i'm not alone and there is actually some while that's really hard there's actually some solace in that too i started my year out kind of on a difficult note i got really sick about a year ago and i've been recovering ever since and putting out this album has been a real godsend i've i haven't been very connected with people in the way that i've felt connected with people in the past just month or so so it's just to go from complete isolation to uh to just jumping in the deep end of being in touch on mostly social media just has been has been really overwhelming but also really great. So this year's been hard. A lot of health issues uh, in addition to COVID. And I think for anyone with underlying health concerns it's it's especially scary. Um and so I think my anxiety has also been something that I've really had to work with a lot um and I know I'm not alone in that. I think Yeah. taking care of my mental health and my physical health through this year has been a focus and I'm someone who's fortunate enough to be able to focus a lot of energy on that. So while it's been tough, like there's there's a lot to glean from it that I feel really grateful for. Yeah, totally. And it it's definitely been a hard year for many, many people. The great yeah. thing is that the response has been so positive to your new mm -hmm. record, which is mm -hmm. amazing mm -hmm. and it's so cool to see, especially when reading about your approach to it, you tried to do things a little differently with the record in the past. So yeah. what were your ex expectations going into releasing this record? And what do you make of the positive response you've received so far? Oh, gosh. Um, first of all, it's been really incredible. I did not expect for this album to be heard in the way that it's being heard. I really was ready to release it Bandcamp style, just put it out almost a year ago now. And I met with Katie and Ben from Bada Bing and they, they liked the album. They thought, we like this, we want to put it out with you, we want to work with you on it. And it's my first time working with a label. I've been independent up until now. and But it's sort of the best of both worlds because it's really a small operation. Yeah. And Katie and I played in a band together for a minute, um, for a few days. I've sung in her, in her band a couple times, and we've just been, we played shows together for years. So it's just, I feel very at home there. And I think they saw more the potential for this album to be heard or received by people than I ever did. So maybe it's not as surprising to them, but I, I'm really shocked. It's a very personal record, so it feels like this very uh, squishy part of me is getting thrown out into the atmosphere and luckily just like landing in safe ground. And I feel really thankful for that. I mean, of course, you've got like some really solid trolls on, on, on the internet, which are for me, like mostly entertaining at this point. I mean, it can, it can get bad, but like I, I, some people just, you know, saying like the music sounds pretentious or stuff like that. I just, you know, or whatever it is that people, negative things that people yeah. feel like they need to say. It's just, it never, 
It doesn't really get to me, especially because I just feel like the resounding response from people has just been like, hey, I was having a really rough day and I listened to this song and it helped me get through the day. And that is really amazing. That's something that I wrote to sort of process a difficult time that I was going through is maybe helping someone get through a difficult day now is really um, a beautiful gift, I think, for me. <laughs> so it's it's been really fun to meet people all over the world that are listening to this. I found out a baby was born to my song the other oh, day. Oh, wow. That is as amazing <laughs> as it gets. Isn't that wild? I mean, yeah. I've heard about people like conceiving to songs, but like this baby was born to my born. song and, and she was born to Hard Drive, which is an interesting song to be born to because it's sort of about how life is, life's kind of hard, but there's a lot of yeah. healing av- available <laughs> while we're here. So it's, it's a funny song to come into the world to, but it's also a funny time to come into the world. It's like a very bizarre time to enter planet Earth. Yeah, at least those entering the world won't remember these moments, I guess, these crazy yeah. times. Maybe not in the way that, that we we remember our day-to-day, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But that is incredible that a child was born to Hard Drive. Great, great song. What, what I thought was really cool and must have been really satisfying for you is that You did take a different approach to recording this record by recording it very quickly and going into the studio with more like ideas instead of songs. And there's Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. some apprehension in that, maybe approaching it differently, but then to see the positive response must have been really satisfying. Yeah, I think... Because I made the record so quickly and it was such a product of like needing to make something so that I, I mean, I can say a couple things about that. But one thing I'll respond to is just that it does feel really amazing. This is the first time I feel like my voice is being heard in this way, but it's also the first time I've expressed myself in such a straightforward way. I was really encouraged by my friends to do that. I think my friends who know me really well, I think one of them, my, my friend Adam Schatz, actually, actually, who I was just texting with right before we started talking, he said to me once, he was like, you have so many dimensions to your personality that I'm not seeing in your music or your stage presence. And I want to see the cast that I know really well. And, you know, you could take that as a criticism by saying like, oh, does what's my music is like, what is it bland or something? You know, whatever you could take that as. I really took it as the highest compliment and I took it as a really thoughtful thing to say. And I took that to heart. I didn't write that album, this album with that goal in mind, but I did. That did really sink in of just like, how can I really let go of whatever I think the music I'm making should sound like or be like and let go of some of my childhood assumptions about what a good record is and and how can I just be really myself because really that's the only thing I can know really well like I could study an instrument my whole life and try to master it but but I'll never know anything better than I'm getting to know myself as and I'm you know as we go so to use my experience i think as the centerpiece for what 
was this album was maybe what was the most freeing thing and continues to be the most freeing thing because it's uh, it's it's really incredible to just have people get to know me without me having to get out there and have like a conversation like this it's just people are getting to know me simply by hearing my music and that hasn't been the case before so yeah it's it's really powerful and it's it sounds so simple but i bet it's also very very challenging to do yeah because the the way you described entering the studio for mm -hmm. recording uh, this record, an overview of phenomenal nature. You said you came in with ideas rather than finished songs. And yeah. I'm curious as to what that process looked like because you were still able to finish the record in a really short period of time, which is impressive. So, how were you able to, I guess, flesh out your ideas uh, so quickly? Mm. And was it, this was the first time you approached uh, recording a record like this? Absolutely. I'm assuming. Yeah, I think, I think it's maybe worth talking about my last record for a second. I put a lot of work into it. It's called Play Till You Win. It was produced by my friend Sam Owens, who goes under the moniker Sam Evian. Yes. And we worked on it for almost like two years. I mean, it was a long process and it was a studio album. And I really learned a lot about the recording studio and what that space was, whereas I was kind of intimidated by it before making that record. And then I, I made a, one record before that, which was just in my friend's bedroom and a basement and a lot of overdubbing and, and just very, just like me and my one other friend, Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, Charlie Clarsfeld Kaufman. <laughs> Josh Kaufman produced, I didn't get very yes. much sleep last night. Um, Josh okay. Kaufman produced my most recent record. I'm just going to put yes. all of the producers, smush them together. Charlie, Evie, and producer and sandwich. Yeah. So anyway, I, I was used to the very like labored over. I mean, if you looked at my, um, I'm just going to out myself for a second, but my vocal takes on Play Till You Win, I was doing all of my own vocal editing and it's like a rainbow in, in Pro Tools. It's just, you can see all the little edits because I wanted every word to be articulated in just the right way. And I really just, you know, it was really freeing to do my vocals with Josh and we would just pull like a take that we liked and to never think about editing the vocal was just so freeing and just being like, my voice is going to sound like my voice. It's not going to sound like whatever perfect version of my voice I think it should be. And yeah, I really owe that to time constraints and also to just working with Josh because we have done a lot of projects together in terms of like, he's invited me to sing on a lot of people's records as a, as a backup vocalist and harmony singer. And I have this working relationship with him where I'm so used to doing things on other people's records where I don't have that same kind of stake in it. I don't have that same kind of precious attachment to their music in the way that I do to my own music. And so I'm, it, I think the nature of working with Josh kind of, it felt like I'm just working on another record that we're working on that we, we are, yeah. we are always working on other people. So it kind of almost felt like I was working on someone else's record, even though we were working on mine, it was like tricking my brain into going to that same space where we're always working on other people's things was really freeing as well. And Josh is just great at working quickly too. And I think I need that when I'm collaborating with someone, I just, I need to have a, a sense of, of momentum. Otherwise it can get really stale for me really fast and I lose interest and move on. So I think with Josh, we just had a really nice, quick, fiery kind of just jump in. We'd, I'd go in, we'd look at my stack of lyrics 
and ideas and be like, how about this one? We'd tackle that one. And then the next day we'd start the same way. We wouldn't go in knowing what we were going to work on and be like, all right, I feel like this, this one maybe feels good to work on today. And then there are some songs that I just never got to. So who knows what they would be if we had done those instead. I'm not sure. It would be a, maybe a different album, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you describe it in that way, because I was curious as to why you opted to work with Josh. Mm-hmm. And on your last record, you produced it yourself with Sam Evian. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you kind of wanted that different perspective to help take the pressure off of you as far as nitpicking certain things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of just letting it flow. Yeah, I'm a perfectionist, and it's really detrimental to my health. <laughs> it's really just the worst, but it also it can be really great. I mean, like, there's nothing better than if I'm giving someone a gift. Like, I love wrapping it perfectly and, like, presenting it <laughs> perfectly. And, you know, you should see my sock drawer. It's terrible. <laughs> I just wish I That's could let good, go. Though. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I have to force myself to let go, um, and I yeah. really hope that we all find ways to do that in our daily lives. Like, I think that there are there are ways, but I think when we're when it comes down to being creative, you do have to kind of make choices to either limit that or let that run run wild because there are some really incredible albums that have come out in the past few years where i know the artist is similarly detail focused and you can hear the result of that and it's gorgeous it's just stunning so it it doesn't it's not that perfectionism is always going to result in something like tightly wound and over over managed and and overworked it's not that's not always the case i think it's really a balance and i think for me it was i swent i I was i had to swing really hard in this direction of just like no i'm not going to do that and also i didn't have the energy for it honestly i was really actually i had some kind of flu at the time when we were recording you can kind of hear it and in my voice and some of the takes i think i was also singing everything really low and singing these songs live i have to tune them up like hard drive i have to bring up to a whole like it's like five steps higher because i was just sick at the time so i couldn't sing as as high it was just in this very low vocal range so it's it's funny the things that that stuck and the things that you know require some adjusting now but it just it was what it was in that moment and so it was really an encapsulation of my life in that moment. And I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate that somehow it is weirdly prescient and, and, and speaking to people now. I think maybe because I was in such a moment of flux and we're all in such a deep flux now that there is something resonant about dealing with that and processing that. But yeah, I mean, it was such a specific moment in my life that I made this. How'd you connect with uh, Josh Kaufman to work on this record? And were was there anything that he had previously worked on that made you think, this is someone that I really want to work <laughs> with on this record? I mean, everything Josh does is great. I mean, I, I try not to speak in hyperbole like that, but I also was texting with Josh earlier today. He just made... Um, maybe one of the most extraordinary things he's ever made, which is two twin baby boys, <laughs> identical oh, wow. twins. Congratulations, Josh. Yeah. So he and his wife, Annie, um, who also plays on the record, she's an incredible bassist um, and singer and just musician, songwriter. Um, 
I've known them for years now and started doing background vocals with Annie when uh, Sam Cohen, who's also one of my favorite songwriters and producers, um, he was producing one of Kevin Morby's records and we had a choir on the record. So eight women in the same room. And Sam looked at me and Annie and I think just intuited that we our voices would go well together and put us on the same microphone. So there were two singers on each mic and, and he put Annie and me on the same mic and we looked at each other when we started singing and it was sort of like, wait, I, I couldn't, there was a moment where I couldn't tell if the sound was coming out of my voice or hers. And because the blend was very similar, like we just, very similar voices and how do you explain that i'm not sure but um we started singing together and then josh started hiring us as a duo we called ourselves the creeps um (laughs) because we would sometimes you know there's little tricks that you that you learn along the way and at one point josh i think was like okay i need you to kind of like come into this one really slow and easy and then ramp up and we're like okay we're gonna creep into this one and then just before you knew it we were just calling ourselves the creeps um and uh, for our, our vocal style <laughs> of creeping in. <laughs> um, and so we sang on Walter Martin's record, Craig Finn, The Hold Steady, Muzz, Nick Kinsey, Osiris. That's how I started to really work with Josh in the studio. And I feel so lucky. I mean, because of Josh, he really kept me afloat. I mean, financially, I was able to get paid for doing vocal session work that year when I wasn't really touring, and um, and then also just introducing me to all all kinds of people that I really ended up loving and getting along with. And you know, Craig, I ended up opening for him on a tour because yeah, I got to know him really in the cool. studio, and I think we just got to know each other. And he he just learned to trust me and know that like. I could open for him on a tour and probably do a, a decent job at it, you know. So I, I just feel like Josh introduced me to a lot of people, and um, and that's just how my life has always worked. But then you meet people like Josh, and it's actually kind of life changing. And he is one of those life changing people. And I'm not the only one who says. I think other people who know him have pulled me aside and said something very similar. Like Josh is really a life changing person. He's wonderfully gifted, talented kind so funny um so smart and also just very tender very good listener very present uh always so present with whoever he's talking to it's really and so hardworking. oh my god so i can't say enough good things about that guy yeah he's played on a lot of great records and you know worked on a lot of great stuff as well yeah so it's very very cool yeah most recently, he worked on the Taylor Swift record, I found yes, out. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, so he's, his credits are getting, I mean, there's a big gap between Cassandra Jenkins and Taylor Swift. <laughs> but he's he's doing it all. I prefer Cassandra Jenkins, though, <laughs> Well, but it you. is cool that he got to work on Taylor Swift's record. But Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's all over the place. It's really cool. So, uh, diving into some of the songs on the record, you know, I, I really like how your songs highlight your own perspective, but there's also these different characters that mm-hmm. work their way in 
to the lyrics. I know New Bikini starts off describing a, a fisherman from Long Island. Mm-hmm. Hard Drive includes references to several different characters. Yeah. I was just wondering, how do you approach bringing these characters to life and where do you draw inspiration from? Um, I mean, all these people are people that I encountered and had conversations with in this specific period of my life. So it was between August and October of 2019. So just really like a two, three month window. I was writing some of the lyrics, you know, up until the day, the day that they were being tracked. Like I was writing some of the lyrics in the studio or on the subway on the way to the studio. So some really great characters. And of course, lots of characters that aren't on there that just didn't make it in either because we didn't pick some of those songs or we didn't get to them. But yeah, Warren is somebody that I see every weekend. Um, I worked at the farmer's market for years and you just I just grew to love a lot of the people in that community. And I was really one of them for like a good three years and now I'm now I just go and get my fish in the, on the weekends and say hi and um, these are really just champions in my life um, I love getting to know people from all different areas of my life um, and knowing what they have to say I really think that every single person on this earth has wisdom to share um, whether or not it's it's wisdom that you personally agree with or or would necessarily expect. I think when you when you turn that key in someone's world and open open it up, I'm always surprised to see what's behind that door sometimes. And I'm very curious in that way. And for whatever reason, I think people like talking to me. I think I, I haven't really figured out what it is, but maybe I'm just sort of approachable. I'm sort of non-intimidating or something. But I think people tend to talk to me and open up to me. And maybe I'm just available for that. But yeah, Warren is a great character. Ula, whose name is difficult to pronounce as an American, but he's my Norwegian friend that put me up for for about a week um, in August of that year and and um, showed me around this island where he lives. And he's a friend of mine for many years. And who else? Yeah, the the security guard at the at the Matt Breuer who just launched into a personal monologue about her thoughts on pretty much everything: nature, politics, feminism, spirituality. Daryl, my driving instructor, who is just a sage, um, like such an old soul. Uh, who else? Lola, my friend Lola Kirk is on the record. My friend Haley Gates, um, Perry. Perry Lyons, the psychic. Um, these are all just people that I was, you know, bumping into or spending time with. Just that, just everyone affects me every day. Like the people I, the strangers I see in the street, they're all affecting my experience, shaping my day to day life. And um, yeah, I think it's it's it'd be silly for me almost to not acknowledge that. <laughs> it's so. cool because it brings to life these moments in time that you have with people that yeah. you encounter that otherwise would maybe just be completely lost or only be present in your your mind and you're able to yeah chronicle those experiences that really had an impact on you. Mm-hmm. Do you find a common thread amongst all of these different characters that come out in the song, is mm-hmm. there something that really 
they have in common that stands out to you that makes such a profound impact on you? If there was common threads, they were common threads that I was pulling together in the studio, sort of, I liken it to, I read tarot, and I love interpreting the tarot because you can pull out three cards one day, and maybe you haven't ever looked at them side by side together, maybe you have, and and you can remember that time, but when you put two things side by side, they create a meaning uh, that wasn't there before, and it's just a great launching pad for symbolism and meaning. And I, I feel like you can do the same thing with with stories and things that people say to you in your life. So at the end of the day, if I think about, you know, that's, for example, that's where my song Hard Drive came from. I was thinking about this this guy who takes care of the bookshop at the end of the seventh ray and all the things he was saying to me. And then I was I found another note that I'd written in my phone where I was talking about Daryl, my driving instructor, and then I realized that they both had the word drive. And there's like, you know, there's a, it's a, it's kind of a pun, but it's also, that was the connection. But then it could be more literal and Warren who, whose life is really determined by water and what comes out of it like the fish um and then he opens up to me one day about his mom and he's such a softy i mean he seems like he's not but he is um and then you know he's talking to me in the same way that my friend who lives on an island in norway um is saying they're both saying literally the same thing that they uh they find healing in the ocean so yeah it just i think i was seeing threads when i was willing to sit down and zoom out and put them next to each other. And I think that's always interesting and I'm always paying attention to that. In the same way that when I'm reading tarot, like maybe I pulled a card that has, um, you know, a lot of roses in the imagery. And so I kind of look for roses when I'm walking down the street that day. It's sort of that kind of way of seeing the world and finding visual rhymes all over the place uh, sort of how i think about it it's almost like you hear like a little bell every time you see a rose in the street and maybe it's just in, at the florist maybe it's on someone's tattoo on the subway maybe it's um in the plastic grocery bag icon from the the bodega you know but it's yeah. it's everywhere and so i think i started to do that with um and once I put that lens on, I started to do that with with people's um, what they were saying and, and their characters. So, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And it's really interesting to hear your process of kind of linking them together like that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how you read tarot and mm-hmm. you have previously incorporated elements of astrology into your music. I'm thinking specifically of Honda's well on mm. your your first record mm. and I'm curious if this still plays a, a big part in your music and what role did it play on this record uh, if at all it seems to come out a little bit on hard drive the song we were just talking mm-hmm. about yeah hard drive is the most like it talks about the woo woo stuff but it doesn't actually get into it it just kind of references it I think and yeah. it's letting you know that there, that's an element um yeah, I think if it's an element in my music, it's not that I'm intentionally putting it in there. It's just that that's how I see 
the world often. It's it's kind of inescapable for me. Yeah, so it's not that I'm trying to write a song where I'm referencing this stuff, but it's actually just yeah. It's it's more of a process and a way of finding meaning um, and a guide for how to interpret our experiences that are often really difficult to understand, um, especially when when there's tragedy involved or or just like really strange coincidence. You have to take pause and sort of step back and find, um, get in touch with your intuition. And I think just tarot is one way of getting in touch with your intuition. I think the I Ching is another way. I think um, we all have methods, I think. Some people, maybe it's less directed. It's more intuitive, um, more, more hazy. But I think these are just tools for tapping into our intuition and those those are tools that people have been using for many uh, for just it's it's age old so absolutely and again with hard drive i love the way the song is structured particularly the vocals Mm -hmm. the verses are basically spoken words and yeah. it's really the defining element of the song, mm. and it's it's a gorgeous song, and it really works. Uh, were you apprehensive about making spoken words such a big part of the song at first, and why did you decide to give that such a big role on the song? I didn't go into the studio that day saying, like, Josh, we're going to make a hit, and it's going to be a five-minute-long song with spoken word, no chorus, <laughs> lots of saxophone, and some really noisy audio recordings. <laughs> um, yeah. I promise you that was absolutely not my intent. And fretless bass. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I walked in, and I was like, I've got this song... I think I want to build it off of these characters and let's just see what happens if I've got these verses and they have, you know, they have rhymes and internal rhymes and that they were like little poems basically about these people. And they were just things that I'd written down in my phone after, you know, after I left the seventh ray, the end of the seventh ray, I just like wrote all that stuff down that he had said to me because I was just kind of blown away. And then, I was often writing things down that Daryl was saying to me after our driving lessons because it was always about his. It's just full of chalk, full of metaphor. That guy, and um, and I I came to the studio and Josh had heard on Eric Biondo, this drummer who I still haven't met actually, but a really great drummer has worked with Josh on Josh's Instagram feed. Uh, one of his drum loops came up you know he was just in his studio rehearsing and put something up on instagram and josh was like i think i want to try using this beat today and i was like okay cool let's see if it works with this and then we put some organ over it and i was just looking for a pulse i was trying to find where the words would fit into the like what was their pace how did they fall out of my mouth i was trying to just give them a life outside of the page and i was like okay i'll find the pulse i'll find the 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 diction there and i was like i'll I'll just add a melody once i've got that secured and and it was we were in this working day schedule and i was like okay we've got chords we've got this beat we've got this basic rhythm to the speech i'm gonna take this home with me and i'm gonna think of a melody on the subway ride home 
And I got to the studio the next day and I was like, I didn't really find a melody. They all felt kind of forced wow. and awkward. Yeah. And he's like, well, just keep speaking, see if something happens. And he was like, you know what? This is just a spoken part. This isn't a melody. You don't need a melody. Just keep speaking. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, a talking song is, that feels kind of bold. Yeah, totally. Fine. And it's kind of funny because it's not, you know, I think of talking songs as being like kind of sexy and kind of serious and kind of cheesy. And um, I mean, maybe this song is all of those things uh, a little bit, but I I don't think so. Um, I I think it's kind of funny that it's just actually, it's just kind of storytelling um, uh, over over music uh, that breaks into song every so often just to remind you that it's a song um, and yeah so it wasn't my intention at all but once we got there it felt very natural and it was good it was like a new skill for me to get used to speaking uh, musically um, and it was really fun to do that live I, I went on one tour with this album and I, it was with Craig Finn and he does that um, and I think yeah. I was hanging out with Craig a fair amount at that time in my life because we were working on a lot of his music. So if anything, he kind of, kind of like him being in my orbit sort of made me get kind of comfortable with that. Yeah. What was that like touring with him and being around him and working with him? Because in thinking of his music, he's such a great storyteller too, yeah, with is. what he's able to do with his lyrics and the characters that he's able to bring to life in in his songs yeah i mean he's someone who is always collecting stories too and and i think he's he's a very he's of this very american ilk as well which i just love i think he's got this beautiful balance between handling some really dark stuff but also often making it lighthearted or funny or at least have a twist to it that is not just oh, this is hard, and this person fell on hard times. There's always something more to it, whether it's bittersweet or there's a twist in the story. And he really finds that balance, and I love that about him. And actually, I um, touring with him was great. He's just such a pro. And he. I feel there are some people in my life who I really look up to, even though in some ways they're my peers. I think he's just got, he's he's got like a whole life of experience um within the music world and with playing you know playing stadiums and and just being through it and has such a good sense of humor about it and i just i really love being around people like that who are really down to earth but um have this wisdom about them and this way that is just like yep i've seen a lot of things and um and maybe you know just let me come along for the ride and know and trust that i can <laughs> be professional as well and show up to a tour and and show up to the gigs on time and be nice to the audience and 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 uh you know be just a respectful i think when you're my age and you're still playing music um in this little scene that i'm in like it requires a certain amount of just showing up and uh, being a nice person and being respectful, and I find I find that more than ever in my life, I'm just around musicians who have like who are just really kind and sweet and funny, and just people I really like being around. Craig is one of those people. It was really fun to tour with him, and 
also just very even keeled and like I, I feel really respected I think in terms of I made some joke on stage when I was on tour like <laughs> I was in a van with nine dudes and yeah. as a woman you know that can get old it can get really yeah. old and I have to say like that was maybe the best version of that it possibly could have been um and it just didn't feel that way I mean, I think there was a, t a moment where we were listening to Iron Maiden and I really had to pee <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is the moment where I'm like, guys, <laughs> I really, I just didn't, I just, that's when I really was like, all right, this is, but I've never felt more comfortable um, asking them to pull off the 405 and just find, find a place. Um, but yeah, they're just, <laughs> the whole band is really great and, and, uh, and I feel like grateful to just sort of, I feel like I'm under Craig's wing a little bit and a little nugget of info about my record. And with regards to Craig is that before I went into the studio with Josh, a few days before I had coffee with Craig and I was like, Hey, I have all these words. I don't have music for them yet. Um, will you go through this with a red pen and just tell me what sucks about it? And, and trust that like I can handle it. And it's funny because I look up to him a lot and I feel like there are yeah. probably a lot of people that would feel like, I mean, it's a really nerdy thing to do. It's super nerdy, but I think I, I find that when um, the people I admire know that I'm, I'm coming to them with intention, like good intentions and, and it's coming from a real place. Like people are usually really accommodating. Of course. Yeah. Um, and so Craig was just really great and just actually sat down and like went through it, kind of like had his fingers on his forehead and was like, okay, this line, um, this could be more specific or like, this is, I've, you know, this is a throwaway line and you know that. Um, so take that one out, you know, and just, and like, maybe you could mention what city you're in that might make it feel, you know, just little things, little flares that make it feel more personal and there's a line one line in one of my songs it's um my suit came in the mail today and i remember him saying like i really like this line because i once had my suit shipped to me when a friend passed away and i was on tour and i had to go to the funeral and um you know it was like it was really wild just to hear these kinds of stories where i was like relating to him in a totally new way um because i was sharing these really personal details of my life with him. So that was a cool thing to, to a cool experience to have like a great songwriter go through my stuff and like with a red pen, like a professor. Yeah, totally. That's incredible. And it's really cool that you're part of this great community of artists and you're a great artist in that community as well. Thanks. So it's very, sounds very, Amazing. Uh, you make, uh, your lyrics are very descriptive a lot of times mm -hmm. on the record, but you also make really great use of metaphor, particularly on Michelangelo mm -hmm. with Thanks. the killer line, I'm a three-legged dog <laughs> looking for what I lost. Uh, it, very strong encapsulation of, I think, how, how so many people have uh, tried to process, understand loss mm -hmm. when it happens yeah. and dealing with grief. Because when we lose someone, mm -hmm. we're, we're always like searching for, for them again or through memory, trying to hold yeah. on to them. Yeah. And I, w I was curious how you came up with that lyric in particular and, yeah. and what does it mean to you? Um, 
there's a lot I could say about this. I think it is a it is a pretty it's like a very clear metaphor and I was writing about my my health but there is this element of loss there and grief and that's something so universal is like we all at some point go through experiencing suffering because of grief. I think this year has been tremendously uh poignant for that that emotion and I think I was thinking about the idea that we are we all at some point suffer in this way. But how much are we going to add to that suffering by constantly looking for the thing that's just not coming back? Yeah. And that is where all of our suffering exists. It's not in the fact that we lost this thing, but it's actually in the fact that we're always just trying to find it or find something to replace it or you know, and so existing in that space of of looking at myself adding so much pain to an existing situation and trying to be honest with myself like how much of this is falling on hard times and how much of it is me dwelling on the fact that I can't get this thing back that I lost for me it's um you know I I've I've talked about a few things about this song I was simultaneously thinking about this element of my health which is I've got this genetic mutation actually that predisposes me for a lot of cancers and when i found that out it was a strange blessing and curse because it means i can prevent these cancers from happening yeah. hopefully but also holy shit like i thought i was a perfectly healthy 30 something year old and i suddenly felt this loss of health and i felt like i'm a handicapped person because of this and and sort of feeling all of those feelings and what does it mean to have like a piece of my DNA missing um and I don't have any control over that I was actually just just born that way um so I was processing that and that was one way that it helped me process that um but I later ended up meeting a lot of they they call them tripods some three-legged dogs and realizing, really watching them and remembering that actually a three-legged dog is never looking for what they lost. They are playing frisbee. They are running down the street. They, they're they super happy. Yeah, they adjust their gait, their physiology, yeah. their psychology changes to adjust to that imbalance. And then they find balance again. And it's actually such a human thing to lose something and then mess ourselves up that much more by instead of trying to find balance, we're like grieving this thing so heavily and of course there's a, there's there's like grieving periods or you know and there's adjustment periods but at, at a certain point it's really important to look at the three-legged dog and, and realize that actually they're not looking for what they lost they're not like running around the park looking for a leg they're they're chasing a stick playing frisbee <laughs> um, doing whatever <laughs> dogs do and trying to use that as a model for myself um and yeah i was also thinking about trauma and that the fact that you know, when you experience trauma, you sort of like lose a certain innocence that was maybe there before, or lose a part of yourself that 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 um, had to go through something difficult and and uh, was maybe not prepared for that, and and feeling this similar sense of okay, how much am I going to add to this, and how much am I going to accept that there is this this really difficult thing there's suffering in my life and and um how can i not suffer further but maybe let this teach me about the nature of suffering 
and the nature of going through something difficult and let this teach me about how I cope with things and learn from it. And, you know, the last line is turn, um, make a flower out of an arrow, which is just like a classic Buddhist image um, of taking the things that, that hurt us and turning them into a flower and letting it be the thing that guides us, uh, which of course is easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I noticed about the record, and I was uh, wondering what your take on this was, I know you were striving to be more open and fluid with the record, and I think that's kind of reflected in how the album actually plays out and how it's sequenced. It seems that in the beginning, there's focus on narrative, and then with the last two tracks, uh, Haley and The Ramble, mm -hmm. there's kind of more of an emphasis on the atmosphere and, and feeling almost. They're lyrically sparse. Haley is lyrically sparse, and The Ramble is an instrumental yeah. track, and it's yeah. really immersive sounding, uh, really trans, you know, transportive almost. Yeah. It's almost like bringing you to this nature setting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the final track the ramble mm -hmm. and i was just wondering is the way the songs played out like that and the way they flow was that a result of your desire to be more open and fluid with your process um i think well first of all i think Haley was a really fun song to write because i think a lot of the record focuses on grief and processing and i really like the idea of celebrating someone who's alive very much alive and well and and celebrating someone who I just really adore um, in this plain and simple way, um, which is actually very hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier to write about sadness and heartbreak than it is to write a song about someone who you just really love having in your life and who's just really great. Um, and I think it was a nice balance for the record because I wrote a lot about losing someone and yeah. um, nice to focus on on life and celebration in the midst of also loss and grieving. And then The Ramble is was actually another spoken word piece, but I took out the vocals and left oh, just the instrumental. Um, I'm really inspired by this woman named Janet Cardiff who does a lot of guided walks, and she has one of Central Park, and I've always wanted to make my own version. And I essentially did that, where I, I had a, a starting point and an end point, and you followed my footsteps. Um, and I guided you on an audio guide through this part of Central Park called The Ramble. And it's a place that's uh, pretty dear to me. I spent, it was the only song on the record that I made um, in 2020. And um, I made it because I wanted to sort of bring the rest of the record into the present and acknowledge the fact that things are not the same anymore and not just put out a time capsule, but say like, this is part of this transformation that I'm going through, that we're all going through, and acknowledge that there was a begin, that there was a before and an after. And the ramble, I went there almost every morning for the beginning of of the pandemic, where I was bird watching in the mornings, and there was almost no one around. It was just me a lot of the time because 
it was April. Everyone was on lockdown for the first time, not really knowing what the parameters were. That was before anyone was wearing masks, you know, that was... I was just out in the park by myself bird watching, and it was my sanctuary. And I was simultaneously, I remember at one point, the ramble's not that far from where a lot of the hospitals were erected outside because the hospitals were all full. And so yeah. I was experiencing both this intense, like, unfathom- unfathomable loss of life while I was watching spring come alive in the park and just seeing nature come up through the cracks as it does, you know. And I was thinking, I want that energy in this song, that idea that um, that I wanted to feel the dandelion growing up through the cracks of the sidewalks and to just try to imbue that in, in the music and have that just be instrumental, not talk about it and just let that be. Um, and so I had a guitar part and a and a vocal in that song that I, I just took myself out of it completely and in that way let myself just dissolve and let it just be my surroundings and the people contributing to that track, which felt really good. It felt very freeing to just take my myself out of it entirely. Absolutely. It's it's such a beautiful, beautiful song. How were you able to capture that in the studio because the song does such a great job of really bottling up that experience that you describe of being in a certain moment in time Mm -hmm. in the park surrounded by birds what kind of mindset are you in when you're in the studio Mm. trying to recreate that well in this case uh I was at home and I was just bringing, I was recording in the park. I had these binaural headphones that I was recording with. And the great thing about those is that when you're wearing them, it's actually heightening the sounds around you. So you're even more immersed. It's like high definition audio in a way. And so I was recording and actually just bringing that home at night and then emailing it to my friends and saying, just contribute to this, what feels right. Don't think about it. For oh, wow. Me. Yeah. So that, that was actually a quarantine. It was my quarantine effort for this record. It was just, I was emailing, I emailed Josh, I emailed Aaron Roche, um, Ben Saraton, Michael Coleman, um, and Doug Weaselman. Um, and I just wanted to take some of the elements that were on the record before and carry them through, like the saxophone, for example. It was a, yeah. it was a big voice. If if it's if I'm talking like Peter and the Wolf style, where each each instrument really has a character, like the saxophone had to come along for that last track too. You don't want to leave them out. Um, yeah. And uh, so I was I was really just hoping to create a walk through the park and to bring that to people and and i realized that actually having my voice in it for example was just not inviting in the way that i wanted it to be maybe that's another project but it's much more inviting to just give the sounds the soundscape um the bird sounds the one of my favorite sounds on the ramble is the um the water sprinkler that i hear when i'm walking along the great lawn and it just has this really soft kind of gentle feeling to it that I think is pretty meditative and just 
just to bring that awareness to your environment um, maybe is is what my my very long-winded answer to that question is just to bring a close listening to your environment and maybe I'm encouraging that by bringing my close listening to my environment to you um, and and offering that kind of sound meditation in the urban landscape and to go back to your to your lyrics again I'd mentioned that a lot of them are descriptive and straightforward in a way that's really powerful and that they're able to capture these different genuine moments in time and experiences. And I was just curious about your process for lyric writing. How do you piece words together? Are are they stream of conscious? How much uh, editing do you do? I really pay attention to other songwriters and the way in which they present their ideas in, in a way that doesn't feel like, you know, Leonard Cohen is a great example. Like, a lot of times he'll say some really beautifully profound things, but in very plain English. Um, and um, not that I'm doing that but I, I think that is a goal of mine uh, to always present things in as plain English as I possibly can I think that's really challenging um, yeah. I think it's much easier to kind of have ex- big expansive intellectual thoughts about things in a way than it is to just be very plain about them so that's a goal that's a conscious goal um, uh, even when I'm writing about these songs and sharing them like writing little statements about them. Usually I'll start out with five or six paragraphs and they'll be super wordy and then I'll finally whittle it down to one statement, one small paragraph. And I think my lyrics are similar. I tend to write a lot and then really boil it down and be like, oh, okay, that's what I was getting at. And it takes me a minute to understand that. I should find, I mean, I'm curious to pull out my phone. We don't have to, I don't have to do this now, but I'm... I'm really curious to see what some of my notes were back in August of 2019, for example. Sure, that'd be great. Um, Totally pull them up. And uh, just to see what some of the original lyrics were. I haven't done this yet, but it was a big process of like, first of all, taking little scraps of paper and my notebooks and my phone and emails that I wrote and text messages that I sent and putting them all in one place and then kind of shuffling them around and then editing that down so it's sort of a collage a process of collage um and yeah i I think that's probably the it's that's how i did this record anyway looks like you got your phone so tell us if did you find any notes yeah i just found the the um my suit came in the mail today note yeah (laughs) um a lot of people's addresses a lot of lists of things that i needed for a tour um I just wrote refractory period with 10 exclamation points because some, someone <laughs> said that to me and I really liked that term. Um, yeah. I just found a note. Can I just read it to you? This never sure. made it into one of the songs, but this is of that time. I said, I got a little sloppy with the tequila stick and pokes around the kitchen counter. Katie looked at me and smiled. I hate to break it to you, but that one's going to be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it's very poetic I mean, though yeah these are great. the kind of notes that i was writing and that's about my my tattoo that has the purple mountains on it because i that was just at that time like i was just writing things down that's one of them you know that never made it into a song 
I've got this friend named Warren. I see him every weekend. He's a fisherman from Long Island. I, his mama used to tell him. Yeah. Um, that that man. Yeah, and then there's other lines that didn't like. How can the ocean carry the promise of a cure when all of our suffering is just living on this earth? That didn't make it in. Too heavy. Kind of boring. Kind of sad. Um, <laughs> all this suffering is it's its own medicine if we can hear what it's trying to say. Like too deliberate, too forward, too like I'm telling you what I think about things. Like that didn't make it in. Um, we can resist or we can listen and the ocean's here either way, you know, like that didn't make it in because it's just too, it, it feels too like big and grand. And like, I think I was really trying to move away from that stuff. So I'm glad I found that. I forgot about those lyrics. I think they're bad. It's really embarrassing to read them to you, but I actually really enjoy the process of reading them to you because I'm trying to like, it's exactly what you're saying. Like I edited that stuff out. That's not in there Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's too, um, trying to tell you about how to live life or it's like too i don't know i just i i read that and i'm just like oh get out of here whoever you are get out <laughs> um <laughs> but that's all part of the process yeah sure. it's like you do kind of poke around into those embarrassing parts of your creativity and your heart and um you don't have to bring those to the page at the end of the day um but they're there and it's good to acknowledge them i'm a cheese ball yeah um me too. We all are. Just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Turns out turns out we all are total cheese balls. <laughs> Ambiguous Norway, we've referenced it a couple of times, that first line about receiving the suit in the mail in the aftermath of David Berman's unfortunate un- and untimely passing. And then you traveled to Norway. Uh, right after that, and that play, that trip plays and comes up several different times on this record. What was that experience like, uh, leaving your normal surroundings while dealing with this uh, grief of David Berman's crazy. passing, and and how'd that shape that song? It was really nuts to do that, but um, that's a good question. I think first of all, there were three days between David's passing and my departure to Norway and it was because I had a flight to Norway that I hadn't canceled um the timing is sort of I don't know if I need to get into it but basically I I was supposed to go to Norway when I joined the band I canceled my trip but I forgot to cancel the plane ticket so I still had a plane ticket to Norway I ended up going on the trip that I had initially planned on going on so it was just this whole kind of strange uh turn of events um and it was really difficult to leave my my bandmates because we had all gone through this traumatic experience of losing David in that moment. And I was in this cocoon with them where I couldn't really spend time with anyone else. Um, I felt really attached to them, even though we were not really a band anymore. You know, it was, it was this very strange moment in time. And, and, uh, it was really hard to leave. I felt like I had to stay in that mourning period. I felt like I owed it to myself and to the people around me to stay there. But I had this ticket and I just thought, wait a second, I have a ticket to go to this really beautiful place and be with my friends out there. And this isn't happening. I have to accept that I'm not going to go on this tour. I have to accept that this person is not alive. 
anymore. And this is the beginning of my accepting that. And so I went to Norway with this just completely wide-eyed, I have no idea what I'm doing, kind of... I spent an hour packing for a month away and got on a plane and fell asleep on the plane. And I remember waking up and not knowing if I was in the air or still on the tarmac. And that sort of felt very much how I felt in my life in that moment, too. I was like, am I? Where am I? It was so disorienting. And then I got to Norway and the song, you know, talks about this feeling of feeling someone's presence being erased from the earth, but also completely everywhere and everything that you see and um, absolutely present. Um, And to feel like the imprint of that experience wherever I was going. And it seemed like I could go to the end of the earth, but I would still be experiencing both the the magic of that person's life and also the the impression that they left on me and also the loss of, of that life. It, I could have gone to Antarctica and I would have felt some something similar, you know. And so, not that I was running away from it, I wasn't. I was just, I had this opportunity to go somewhere and I just, I really felt that presence everywhere I went and that was just... I feel that sometimes too when I'm walking around right now. I, I'm just trying to always remind myself to have this trust in in the nature of things, and um, as much as it is a, like we can really depend more on chaos to be the like nature is really I think more it tends toward chaos more than anything. Um, but still to yeah. just trust, trust that nature of things, I think is something I'm trying to practice all the time. And, and that you take with you wherever you go. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a very powerful experience and, a you know, very affecting time in yeah. your life and to have, known david berman i know you you knew him yeah, briefly, briefly but those interactions mm-hmm. definitely had a profound mm-hmm. impact on you and he's had such a profound impact on so yeah. many people that i yeah. know that i've interviewed for this yeah. podcast it's really yeah. incredible and for you to have spent some time yeah. with him is really yeah. amazing i was just wondering how what was that time that you spent with him like? What do you remember about it? And is there anything in particular that you, you'll cherish? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm laughing because he was really funny. He, he said a lot of really yeah. funny things. And that's actually, I mean, that probably answers your question more than anything. Is like he really left this sense of humor. Oh, my God, he was so funny. And he told these just incredible stories. And, and um. I'm actually getting a little emotional thinking about it. I'm I've been looking at at yeah. pictures, you know, I'm someone I I spoke to asked me to write a timeline of of these events and I've just been sort of seeped in it all day and it's actually it again like not that I I knew it's strange I I didn't know David well at all. Um but 
it's still a very emotional thing to talk about. Um, I did get to meet a lot of people who, like you said, were deeply, deeply influenced by him. And because he wrote letters of encouragement, um, he wrote, he was a very um, prolific writer and correspondent and, you know, um, an artist in so many different ways. And I think when someone reached out to him for advice or with a song that they had written that they wanted him to hear, he would listen and he would write back. And that meant a lot to a lot of people. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe more than he knew. It's hard to say. Um, but I, those few days, again, it's, it's also hard to talk about because I want to be really respectful to his friends and family. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's, difficult i think probably for a lot of people to think about those few days leading up to his death and and you know what happened i can't really say um but i can say that he was really funny i mean he was joking at one point about um spotify uh count or what is it like spotify um what is it numbers What, what what do you call that Followers, well, follow, yeah. play counts, play counts, yeah. And he he kept calling he kept calling yeah. it Snapple play counts, <laughs> which I just thought was so funny. And he just had things like that all the time. And, and he wasn't trying; he wasn't like overemphasizing those jokes. But if you were listening, he was like delivering them the whole time, and it was just incredible. But also the way that he so he was simultaneously hilarious and then also. Um, playing Wild Kindness with him for the first time, which is a song that means a lot to a lot of people. And I really learned that actually in the wake of his death more than I did while he was living. Um, He had a hard time getting through that song because it it made him really emotional. And I could feel the connection that he had. I, I don't know what he was feeling in that moment, but I could feel it. He was feeling it very deeply. And... Uh, there were a lot of times where I was actually having a hard time getting through rehearsal because I was so moved by that and also so happy <laughs> to be in such an incredible band with so many incredible people. Um, so it it was it was a really incredible and beautiful experience, and I am sorry that we lost such an incredible person. Yeah, as am I. And thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you. That was uh, incredible. Um, He had such a profound impact on so many people. And it's great to hear uh, how his memory remains alive through all the people that loved him and appreciated his work, too such a great lyricist Just, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the most like powerful, uh, memorable thing about his, his body of work His like dry wit mm-hmm. was yeah. incredible. Yeah. I feel like that's something I can't ever touch, you know, just, and that's why it's, it's actually, it feels absolutely ridiculous to be writing, um, songs with him as a, as a character because he was just such an incredible writer. But I think, I was able to do that because I I was able to say like, I'm not trying to, to emulate him. I'm writing about my experience of him. And that's something I can be an expert in. It's not, not an expert in writing, but an expert in my experience. Um, And otherwise I think it would be 
really debilitating to think about writing about someone like him who's like really who does have just an incredible dry wit and um uh approach to writing and poetry with with an immense um uh he's he's really always it really pays homage to work that came before him too. And like a lot of great poets before him. And yeah. so it's just, it's a really, I don't, I don't feel like, yeah. Anyway, I, it just, it feels silly to like, to write about someone who's so incredible, but um, not feel like you're trying to achieve something similar or, you know, try to touch what they're doing, but just do something completely different. Very, very well said. Okay, now we're going to play a song from Cassandra's new record, An Overview on Phenomenal Nature. It's out now via Bada Bing Records. You can get it on vinyl via Bandcamp at CassandraJenkins.Bandcamp.com. This is the lead single from the record, Michelangelo. I'm a three-legged dog Working with what I and part of me will always be looking for what I lost. There's a fly around my head waiting for the day I dropped it.
right, everyone, we're back. We just heard the first track and lead single from Cassandra's new record, a song called Michelangelo, and of course, Cassandra's record. An overview on Phenomenal Nature is out now. You can get it on vinyl via CassandraJenkins.bandcamp.com. All right, now we're going to talk about some records that Cassandra picked. So tell me, what did you pick? It was so hard. And then I decided I needed to. There's you have such an. So that collection, do you have all of those records? I have a lot. Wow. That's insane. There's a lot of really good records in there. I'm, I'm kind of a record collector, but I sort of, I really obsess over things. So I kind of. When I started collecting records, I was like, okay, you're either going to go insane and like go all the way or you're going to just keep it really slim here. Um, And I I was like, I think I need to just be careful. Um, But then I see your record collection. I'm like, oh my God, it's so awesome. And there's so much good music in there. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it was really fun. I wish I could see it in person and like actually thumb through the records. That would be really satisfying. In this case, so I pulled, I I made a new page in my browser. Instead of pulling them off the shelves, I just made like um, some tabs in my browser. (laughs) Um, But yeah, a lot of great music. I mean, it was really tempting to talk about um, some older records that I love from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But I, I decided to go with all pretty contemporary things that I have direct experience with in some way um, that we could talk about. Like, cause I just thought it would be really more fun for me in this moment in my life to tell, tell stories and talk about what, how that music kind of resonated with me on a personal level than, than like sitting here and like being the the music, music (laughs) critic uh, that I, (laughs) the like music critic inside of me that like kind of feels I think always inadequate um, at that. Uh, so I'd rather just talk about my experiences. Um, and I don't know what, or- well, let's start with Eleanor Friedberger because I love Eleanor and I love her songs. And I saw you had a bunch of her records. I've, have you ever had her on the podcast? No, she's, she's incredible though. She is really an incredible, awesome songwriter i love the fiery furnaces and of course yeah. big fan of her great solo career as well yeah yeah both and they're they're distinctly very different from one another i picked eleanor friedberger's record last summer off of the shelf and the song and there's two songs i really want to talk about but i want to talk about the end of the seventh ray because First of all, that's one of my favorite songs on the record. And it was my favorite song to play with her live when I was playing in her band. I love the bass line. I was playing bass. And I loved singing backup on this song. Some of it was spoken backup singing, where I'm kind of whispering and kind of creeping in the microphone. Tequila in the back room for a break-in reunion of the old band. That's what it is. Okay. Tequila in the back room. That must be like backstage or something. But anyway, I love this song. I love 
it musically. I love the lyrics. I love the story behind it. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about who the song's about because she might have told me that in confidence. But um, the I know that it is about this famed restaurant um, where I ended up going this uh, uh, in the summer of 2019 and ended up putting, of course, there's a lyric in one of my songs about going to the bookstore right next to this restaurant. And part of the reason I went there was because I really wanted to go to this place that I had sung about with Eleanor for so many years. Um, and uh, it was just really in my head. And I remember texting her on the way there saying, like, I'm finally going to the end of the seventh ray. And it was just, it's always been this this place in my mind that's kind of built up as this kind of mysterious, magical place. And it actually really is. It's, it's, um, it's, it's centered between this place where two creeks once met in Topanga Canyon. And so it was actually apparently uh, meeting grounds for, I can't remember which tribe, um, but Native American meeting grounds um, at one point. And then from there kind of kept this uh, sort of legendary status of, that certain landmarks just innately have and uh and i think it continues to be a place where sort of new age types go to um be in touch with that that place even though the creeks have since sadly dried up um and actually when i was in topanga uh when i was writing hard drive there it was, there was a lot of fire warnings at the time um so super dry place now but uh wow yeah, yeah. so so i i i'm talking about this song partly because it, it has a lot of meaning for me um and also because it's just a really great story song which i think eleanor is really awesome at just kind of her this whole record actually has so many my mistakes was also one of my favorite songs to play we would usually play it at the end of our set and then eleanor would either jump off stage or run backstage and like the band would just keep playing as she exited made her exit and actually one time she actually really hurt herself and i got really worried (laughs) but uh it was yeah the whole record um I Won't Fall Apart on You Tonight response to a Bob Dylan song. Such a great idea to have like yeah. a conversation with a legend on your record. I just love that. Um, Roosevelt Island, also such a great New York song. Amazing about, song. Yes, I yeah. think that's my favorite song on the record. Yeah, it's so good. And God, actually, I hated playing that song because the bass line was really hard for me. Yeah. It was really fast and slidey and like... I, that was the song. It was usually in the middle of the set. And inevitably, I would have to take off at least one layer of clothing because I was just sweating by the end of sweating. it. Sweating. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when, I, I'm I'm okay at the bass, but, like, I'm not the best bass player. and Because I've watched other bass players play in her band, like Brian Bencourt, who's just slays. I, and, like, he just doesn't even blink, you know, and it's just nothing for him. <laughs> but uh, for me, it was a lot. Have you been on multiple tours with her or did you tour one tour with uh, Eleanor Friedberger? When was that tour? Was it the Uh, most recent record she put out? uh, No, no, no. I I didn't. I didn't tour with her after we toured her record, personal record. um, And I did a few tours with her for that. And uh, 
just like off of that that release um but she's since come out with a bunch of other records and she always is changing up her band uh the band that we played with when i was on tour with her they were actually my my backing band when i was playing at the time i was kind of first starting my solo project it was back in 2013 um but they were actually they were my backing band but they were actually another band that I asked to play with me. And then we ended up playing with Eleanor. So it was this kind of like roving, um, uh, band that just kept on taking different shapes. Um, and a bunch of really talented people that I still love very much and still play with. Um, it was quirky. It was a really quirky tour, really quirky band. Um, a lot of personality. (laughs) It sounds like a wonderful experience. It was. Yeah. I mean, it it was, it was great. It was my first U S tour. Um, and Eleanor really, I feel like she took me under her wing in a way. Um, always giving me tips and she's just the coolest. Um, when I think about cool and what it means to be cool, um, which is something that really, uh, mystifies me most of the time i just think about eleanor and like i don't really know how she does it but she's just she's just cool i think she was born that she way. is definitely very cool and and not and that can sound like an insult it's absolutely not she's also like the most genuine and like she's a really good friend and really like just so real um but uh, there's just something about her that is just i don't know she'll just she'll 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 just always be the coolest person in the room in my opinion um so yeah yeah from those experiences touring with uh someone like eleanor friedberger at that time before you had started your solo career uh, what were some things that you took away from uh being around her or you know watching what she does uh she had this funny bit the whole time that we were on tour, which was gigging tips. Like anytime something would come up that she would think of as useful, she'd be like, gigging tip, always bring a Sharpie, you know, or that's one example, but you know, there were, but there were so many things. It was like anything from booking hotels to, um, like triple a stuff to, um, how to deal with like a really annoying promoter, um to just i mean you name it she had been through it she's toured so much and um and just knows how to really be at once like really organized and really loose um which is a really important skill set when you're touring because things just on any given day there are so many opportunities for things to go wrong she is just a great example of someone who really kept it together you know even if she i remember she was sick at one point on tour and she still like just really kept the show going in a really great way and yeah but other like things that i learned from her that i could pass on to you specifically i mean one one gig and tip that i really loved was in your in your guitar case you always want to have um a sharpie and an extra pair of underwear <laughs> 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 two and, two very important things to have in your yeah and so i i mean to this day i always have a sharpie and an extra pair of underwear 
<laughs> I don't think I've ever used the extra pair. I actually I remember I used the extra pair once when I ended up sleeping. Um I like had my suitcase, but I remember like I ended up using the underwear as a, as a sleeping mask. <laughs> I remember grabbing them out of my I was like, "Oh, damn it, I need like I don't have a sleeping mask." I remember grabbing it. But yeah, so in Chicago. So um, they did go to use once so far. Yeah, That's but those funny. under that extra pair is definitely not getting used these days. It's uh, that guitar. I I had to pull out my guitar cases recently because I went upstate and I was like, "Wow, I haven't used a guitar case in like a year." That's really weird. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully that changes soon. Yeah. 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 Anyway. I, there's a lot I could say about Eleanor and how great she is and how much I love her music and how much I love playing in her band. But I think The End of the Seventh Ray is a great, cool, creepy song. Um, and it it definitely had a big influence on me. second selection what's what's next um well i can't decide which one to talk about next let's talk about kevin morby another friend of mine who i adore and who i got to collaborate with on on this record so he we're going to talk about oh my god and i think i want to talk about that song because well we could talk about that song or no halo is also really great one to work on so a nothing sacred all things wild i i really like this record a lot um it's produced by sam cohen and uh we recorded the choir vocals for this record up at the isicon with um with dan goodwin who uh mixed and mastered my record um so that's a place that i really love and that session was so much fun I mean, singing with eight women live on a microphone that I had, on microphones that I had, I'd never met these women before. I'd, I'd kind of seen a couple of them before, but for the most part, it was a choir that they assembled, and I was just really lucky to be a part of it. And there's nothing I love more than singing in a like a choir like that where you've got your designated harmony and you're just hearing and blending with the people around you they were all incredible singers um and just really fun people and uh the session was great sam was we were writing all the harmonies on the spot and sam would just go over to the piano and it was this really beautiful it was like working with clay where he would go over to the piano and try to build the chord and then but everyone uh the way that the the choir worked even though we'd never sung together before i think we all have those instincts for finding harmonies so it would just sort of emerge all of a sudden it was it was like this organism that was just like oh we know what to do we're one body i don't it it was just really fun to feel that come together even though it wasn't fully formed to begin with um so it was great working with sam like he trusted everybody and but he also had very concrete ideas and we would just kind of go back and forth until we would find those harmonies and and it was two two people per microphone and um 
Sam had the idea to put me on a mic with Annie Nero, who is Josh Kaufman's wife um, and musical partner extraordinaire. She's a bassist and a singer and a songwriter. Um, But the reason I bring up Josh is because Josh has produced a lot of albums that I've gone on to sing on with Annie. Um, And so that was actually doing that session with Kevin was a pretty life-changing session because I ended up being paired with Annie because Sam had this idea. He was like, I think they'll blend well together. And when we started singing together, we looked at each other and it was sort of like, wait, you have the same voice I do. This is really weird. Um, I couldn't tell if I was singing or she was singing at moments because she had this really similar quality voice and we were close together on a microphone. Um, And since then, we've probably sung on something like 10 records together. Wow. Um, Over the course of two years, we we just became, we call ourselves the Creeps, um, named after (laughs) a move that we have, which is creeping in on uh on harmonies which is just you know when sometimes we have these directives that developed of in, in terms of like how to approach certain vocals and you know some of them you got to creep in and so we became the creeps <laughs> and we started um we sang on uh, most recently the the most uh the newest hold steady record that just came out um, yeah, i think it record. came out the same day that my record came out actually um Great record, really fun. We sing on that together. Some of those vocals were done in the pandemic. Some of them were done before the pandemic. Um, actually, we had a session booked. I think it was like March 15th was the session date. So it was canceled. I, I just remember writing to them being like, I'm not sure I should come. Like, it seems like things are kind of weird right now. That was my last session that I had to cancel. Um, but uh, so... Annie and I went on to sing on, yeah, that Hold Steady record, two of Craig Fenn's solo records, um, Walter, Martin, um, Muzz, uh, Cyrus, Gengras. I think we talked about this last time, didn't we? Yeah. Um, And who else? Uh, Nick Kinsey and some of his stuff. uh, And... Who else? There's, is there's is there more. anyone that stands out to you in particular that you're particularly proud of the work that the two of you did together on one of those records? Um, I mean, definitely. I think I love how Kevin's record came out. I know it wasn't just me and Annie; it was it was eight eight of us. But um, that was so fun to watch that develop and then hear how it was used in the recording in the end. Um, I'm really proud of that. I love hearing, I love listening for each person's individual voice. Um, but I, th- I think then Craig Finn's uh, records, I really love singing on those. I mean, they're really funny. Um, they, they have a lot of really specific, the, the lyrics that we're listening a lot to the lyrics and responding yeah. very heavily to um, how to really, uh, do each lyric justice so and it's it's this very you know we we're not traditional backup singers by any means um so we have this very specific skill set um and tone that i think 
it's really fun that we've we've built that and and i think we built it by singing on craig's songs my favorite memory of doing that with annie is we did some a cbs this morning performance and uh we were just kind of trying to figure out like okay what do we do we're backup singers do we like sway side to side do we like (laughs) you know this isn't really sway side to side kind of music um you know we're singing (laughs) what's what's the song um the i'm trying to remember which basically you know a lot of craig's songs are about like people who are really down and out in in middle america and uh so we had all these running jokes about our dance moves if we were actually choreographing the lyrics and that one of them is like we're we're just miming like hanging ourselves and like shooting up and like just all these things that you would not <laughs> want to see backup singers doing in like a fun <laughs> next to the lead completely distracting like completely uh, just morbid and uh macabre basically like the most macabre backup singers you could imagine but doing it with this this uh delightful uh delivery anyway so that's that's me and annie just cracking up on the side of the stage um and just i couldn't keep it together during that session it was really hard to get through without laughing because i just kept picturing myself like doing all these dance moves during craig's songs and if you watch it you can just see me like i'm like holding back laughs and tears because it just it was really hard to you know it's like church laughter when you start laughing and you're, yes. you're not supposed to it's just becomes so hard and, hard not to yes oh, that yeah that was like oof, that was a tough one for me um but i, I guess while we're i, I still you know talking about kevin's record um i'm remembering one song the there's it's one of those songs where it's he's saying the same thing over and over but it's repeated in different ways with uh different emphasis on different syllables and learning that was a really fun thing to learn that with the choir sort of one of those brain exercises that uh we eventually got through and that that's a a really fun memory from the cabin session won't you release me Record number three. Record number three. I don't know which song to talk about, but I really, I really, I saw it on the list and I couldn't not pick it. It's the Purple Mountains record. And obviously this had a really big influence. We talked about David a lot last time and, and uh, the influence that this particular set of songs had on me because I was lucky enough to play in that band for a few days before he passed away. Um, and learning these songs was, was an incredible experience because I had to learn them really quickly. I was recruited into the band at the very last minute. Um, and if I, I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but it was just sort of, I was kind of tacked onto the band because 
Jarvis, the band leader um, and producer on this really great and phenomenally, like, I'm so grateful that we have this record. Um, And I think Jarvis just did an incredible job with the music. Um, He realized before they were planning on going on tour that that, um, David probably should just be responsible for singing and not playing guitar as well and i was sort of like supposed to sort of shadow david on on the acoustic guitar and then i ended up basically being that like being david's hands um like i I was just i went from me being like there just in case to just sort of like in case he doesn't feel like playing to being like oh david's not gonna play at all that's very clear it was very clear from the moment that we started playing um and so i I had maybe like a week or two to learn all these songs um, and a ton of Silver Jew songs. I mean, I think we had like 90 minutes worth of material that I learned really quickly. I mean, of course, one of the beauty, one of the beauties of, um, of the Silver Jews material is that it, the chord changes are not hard. And like, I think a lot of, some of David's records even had, um, uh, and the Silver Jews records had uh, instructions for how to play the songs in the in the packaging and stuff at one point, and um, so it wasn't that they were hard. It's just it was a lot of material. <laughs> um, but uh, there's so many songs on on the Purple Mountains record that I could talk about, um, and. Weirdly, one of the songs, I mean, yeah, I don't know if there's any song in particular that you want to talk about, because I could really talk about each and every single one of the songs on this record and have something I want to say about it. Um, But I just, I love every single song. I mean, Storyland Fever, we didn't even practice, we didn't even, we weren't even going to play that song, and I just loved that song. I love the idea behind it. Um, Oh, Darkness and Cold. That's the one. That's the one I want to talk about, I think. First of all, I realize that I haven't listened to this record um, since August of 2019. I haven't listened to it. Um, even though I would love to. I, It's such a good record. I just... I have those... They're so deeply embedded in my, in my psyche. I mean, I actually... I had to play a few tributes... Um, tribute shows so that i guess that's false because i had to listen to some of the songs um i just haven't listened to it as a record like i listened to it as a oh darn i need to practice this song because i i should probably know the lyrics by by heart before getting on stage and performing them in his honor (laughs) um but uh darkness and cold the video for this song have you seen the video it's incredible we watched yeah, it. It is incredible. Um, I mean, it was yeah. It's it's so funny and heartbreaking, and just the the humor in it just really kills me. Um, but I think there's a couple things about this song that I could talk about. Um, first of all, I think just the the production in this song, in contrast to the the weight of the lyrics I think is really brilliant. I mean, it's an age old, um, 
uh, songwriting tool. Um, to, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of like bluegrass songs, for example, and I, I come from a pretty heavy like bluegrass background. And so that was always a thing that I was drawn to about that music. And then I think equally drawn to this record because of that. It's kind of the same, using the same same tool. Um, but it's such a catchy, catchy song. And it's, it's, uh, it's so sad. <laughs> and yeah. My favorite line is the pink champagne Corvette with the pink a pink band-aid or band-aid pink Chevette. Um, and just like a classic example of some of David's brilliance in the most um, everyday kind of things. Um, but then there's also the, the, the line about the light of my life is going out tonight was a line that I was singing for a few weeks and then singing in rehearsals before I actually got the um, the play on words, which is funny. It, it just completely slipped over my head because I was just lear- trying to learn the lyrics. Um, and it wasn't until I read a tweet of his that I got, oh, my light's going out. Not just talking about Cassie leaving for to go out yeah. on the town which is i just interpreted it com- completely literally um which um just goes to show you kind of like how the brain works when you're trying to learn a ton of material it's just not taking yeah. in the creative side of things <laughs> um but just when i finally realized that i was just it it just hit me like bricks um and to be kind of singing that while I was understanding that happened to me when I was playing with Craig too. I would sort of be on stage listening to him talk to the audience or something and hear him tell the story about the song and then be like, Oh, I finally get it. And meanwhile I have get it. Yeah, it's so wow. ingrained in me, but I'm, I'm, I'm understanding it as it's coming out of my body. <laughs> and that was happening. Yeah. I think especially with David because his lyrics have a depth to them that um might not hit you right away especially because you're just like god this is so goddamn catchy um catchy yeah and and also just like beautifully woven um lyrics that sometimes the the extra layers are not necessarily hitting right away um and so i was definitely experiencing that i mean it was it was really intense to be experiencing that while in a room with him for the first time and um and uh just catching up getting up to speed with with uh the whole catalog of music at the same time so it was anyway the light of my life is going out tonight that line i think on the whole record probably is one of the lines that actually hits me the hardest um and then uh i want to find the if i can i mean i want to see if i can find the tweet that he wrote that i'm talking about because sure next to this song it just goes to show you kind of the depth of that thought and what he was thinking about and what he was feeling and it made me really understand him as a person much more even though we we never talked about it we never really had that many one-on-one conversations um but it really revealed something about him that that helped me understand who i was in a room with um and uh 
the other thing about this song, so I'll try to find that tweet and and we can see if we can stitch that into this conversation. But I, I, um, the other thing about this this song that was a great moment for me in terms of catch, getting up to speed with what I was doing was there's that harmony, um, the the backup vocals in this song the. That part, it's this, this, it almost sounds like a sample of someone crying, cry singing. So, which also is a great example of, I think, the humor that Jarvis and David shared. I never talked to Jarvis about it, but um, just this kind of like funny, like cry on repeat thing that, that hits me and my sense of humor as like someone who has definitely... I, I've definitely dealt with depression a lot in my life. And like, yeah. you have to find humor in it also. <laughs> and there is a lot of humor in it. If you can find that, um, especially if it, yes. if it reveals something about it, I think there's something about the humor in um, when you can identify something about depression, there's something funny about it. That's, that is very healing and like brings, because it, it you gain this understanding out of humor. Um, and this is one of those those lines in that song where just the fact that it is this kind of like babyish kind of like almost like a wah <laughs> um, uh, yeah. is something that's funny, but it's also so tragic. Um, and while I was singing it, I remember being in rehearsal and singing it with Katie Von Schleicher, who was my my singing partner in this band, um, and being like, should I, trying to match the end of the phrase, that, that melody of the, it changes chords the second time around at the very end of that phrase, yeah. and being like, should I change the chord? Should I, should I swoop into that melody with the chord change? And... And Katie was like, no, 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 just pretend it's a sample and sing it that way. And there I was again, like in the room realizing, like, oh, that's wow. what that is. Oh, gosh. Okay, I get it. Um, but I was so focused on learning the chords and the melodies and trying to do a good job yeah. that I just wasn't, <laughs> it, it, I wasn't getting it. It wasn't sinking in yet. And so there I was just kind of being slammed with this realization of what that musical part meant. Um, and that it was actually a person crying and not just this like sweet little vocal harmony was I was getting hit with those realizations the whole time that I was learning this music. Um, and wow. that was yeah. one of them that hit me extra hard. And again, it was, I was hit with like humor and sadness at once. And that combination I think is, is something that I'm really drawn to and, and uh, really floored by. And when you can achieve that like lightness in that darkness, um, it's like maybe the best thing to me. Um, it's an incredible, yeah, an incredible yeah. skill. Um, yeah. So when I'm thinking about that lyric in darkness and cold, um, the light of my life is going out tonight. Oh, it's so it just hits me really hard. Um, I think about this tweet, which was when I was just like, "Okay, am I really going to play in this band?" I was looking at the 
the Twitter account, just seeing some of David's tweets, which are just so funny um, and so smart. Uh, I stopped at this one, which is in quotes. It says, what's got you so flustered? Things aren't so bad, my friend. What causes you to struggle to writhe and twist and bend? I hate to see you suffer, but I just can't comprehend, said the candle in the window to the candle in the wind. Wow. Oh, my yeah. God. And that... That's a beautiful... Yeah. And, um, you know, candle in the wind is a... It's, it's, a, it's a saying, but... Um, and yeah. I wonder if that saying comes from this line of poetry... I don't know who wrote it. Um, maybe we can find out. Um, but uh, yeah, I think about that when I'm thinking about that song and that tweet just had a really profound effect on me to just see it written from 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 David yeah. and and um, yeah, it's uh, it. I guess that's 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 all I have to say about it. It's just it, it really it really hit me. Um and to to be weaving together lyrics with tweets and then uh personal interactions with um piecing together vocal parts and vocal harmonies, like all of these things, I was creating a picture of who someone was that I I, I never really got to know. Um but I was again like just that these were things were happening kind of these were just fragments that that's all I had really but but um those fragments had such a profound effect on me I think I'm also just very I'm a sponge for for that um but I yeah again it just it's amazing how much so such a fleeting interaction and such such a short period of time can really change the way that you see things and see see your understand the understand the mind understand my own mind understand um just things in a completely different way than i did going into that project so yeah that's all i have to say about that yeah it's i mean an incredible unique experience that you're only a handful of people that actually got to see those songs performed mm -hmm. by him. And, you know, that's definitely something that is amazing mm -hmm. and something you'll probably remember for the rest of your life yeah. and cherish. Yeah, for sure. That's true. Yeah, I didn't think about it as witnessing a performance, but it absolutely was. Yeah, I I didn't either until recently when I was thinking about it because you're a part of mm -hmm. it, you know, you're part of the performance, and you're just trying so hard not to fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's still he was still singing the songs, and he didn't get to do the songs for an audience, so you were still there uh, mm -hmm. with him. So it's it's really mm -hmm. powerful when when you really think about it. It's it, incredible. Yeah, and it's a a good reminder. I think maybe this is a nice note to leave on. Um, it's just a really good reminder of you know I I didn't I had I thought I had a whole tour ahead of me, so I was just 
kind of going through the motions of and and feeling pretty nervous again just trying not to fuck up the chords and just trying to like do a really good job because i was hired to do a good job like there i was being like a little bit of an uptight version of myself just trying to like keep it together um which is another state of just not being fully present um and i think it's just a good reminder to just no matter what it is that is occupying your mind if it's like don't mess up the chords or like oh man i can't believe i have a coffee stain on my shirt or like oh why did i say that thing to my boyfriend earlier or like oh um you know damn it i forgot to call my mom like whatever it is that's distracting you um on any given day uh it's just a really good reminder that like we really have to be as present as we possibly can with the people that we're with, um, no matter what it is that we're going through uh, in that moment, um, because it really, like, everything is very fleeting. Even as we're going through this pandemic, and it's really easy to be like, oh, another day in the pandemic. Like, this is a really special time just like any other. And um, I'm really trying to remember that every day. Just be like, yeah, this is there's there's this is traumatizing and tragic but like i need to be able to appreciate this day just like every other and and um and so i'm i'm always looking back on that experience as a reminder for that All right, sadly, we're coming to the end of this episode, but everyone, you can get Cassandra's new record and overview on Phenomenal Nature. It's out now via Bada Bing Records, and you can get a copy at CassandraJenkins.BandCamp.com. Cassandra, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And it's really fun to talk about records with you. So, so thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. And we're going to end with a clip from... The last song on an overview of Phenomenal Nature, it's a gorgeous instrumental track that we spoke about during the interview. It's called The Ramble. The Ramble. 